We gather this morning to worship Resurrection Sunday. We gather to stand before the wonder, the miracle of an open grave, of a resurrection, of something completely different, of something that has never happened before. Not to rise on this side of life, but to rise on that side of the grave into a new life to never die again. And so we gather again at the mouth of the open grave in worship. We are in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 9. I may read down through verse 11. Here the old, old story of Jesus and His love. On the first day of the week at the early dawn, they went to the tomb taking with them spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how He told you while you were still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, that He would be crucified, and on the third day He would rise? And they remembered His words. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them as idle tales. And they did not believe them. So Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. And we gather this morning to marvel at what has happened. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered. Lord Jesus, we have gathered before you. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and be in our midst. We gather in awe and wonder and celebration and joy and hope for the life and the light and the meaning that Your resurrection has for us. Come near as we worship. Come near as we visit again Your empty tomb and speak to us of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You read the different Gospels on uh, and any part of the story, and it's interesting how each of the different authors and the Gospel accounts um, have so much that overlaps. There are pieces of them that are verbatim, and they overlap in what they tell, but you'll also notice that there's a great deal of, of difference, that each one includes different details. That in one, there'll be a detail that's not in the other, and in the other, there'll be a detail that's not in the one. And they, they each pick different things that they choose to relate to us. They're not... Some have said, well, these are contradictions. This one says this and this one says that. They're not. They're simply different perspectives. Because I'm going to preach a sermon this morning, as often or not, every time I stand at the door and people come by, and people will, will, will say different things about it. And different things, they'll apply it in different ways. There'll be, there'll be different points that they pick up and, and heard, and there'll be things that I didn't even plan to say that were just offhand mark, remarks is what they went away with. And maybe others didn't. It's not, they're not contradictory. But each of you are in a different place or you're, you're, God is doing a different thing in your life. And for these guys, each Gospel writer has a peculiar audience. 
that he's writing to. And so he's emphasizing different things to make his point, to tell his part of the story. Some of the details all four writers choose to include. The great stone door of Jesus' grave having been rolled away or moved out from the open, that the grave was open is one that all four tell in their own way. The gravestone is almost its own character in the story. It's one of the moving parts, quite, quite literally, as they show up. It's something that was moved into place when they buried Jesus on that Friday, that good Friday. It was rolled into place. It was a great stone. It was a massive thing. It was probably six feet in diameter because it was a, a doorway that it's covering. So it's some six feet. So it's about my, my height and six feet in diameter. You know, at least several inches thick. The thing would have been massive. It would have weighed a couple of tons. Which is thousands, three, four thousand pounds. So this round stone, they, they set it against the door and so it doesn't fall over. They build sort of a second wall in front of it to give it, to give it a track sort of to run in. And they, they put it in as they build it on a slight incline. So when they're ready, they can just remove it and it rolls into place down that slight incline. It's a lot easier to get it into place than to get it out of place because of that incline. And so as the women are going to the tomb, they're concerned as they went um, that they wouldn't be able to open the thing. Getting the thing open is another story. So in verse 1 it says that they're on their way the first day of the week. It's dawn, so not a lot of people have stirred. They went to the tomb. They were bringing the spices that they had prepared. Interesting, in Mark 16, Mark adds a detail, something that Luke leaves out. He says the women were having thoughts in a conversation on their way. In Mark 16, verse 3, it says they were saying to one another, the women, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Who's going to roll away the stone from the mouth of the grave? It's going to be like turning over a car. You know, it's, if you or one or two, you're going to need a few guys to turn this car over if you want to flip it. The couple of tons. And so the women arrive. Verse 2, it says that they show up. They found that the stone was already rolled away. That the tomb was open. They look inside. They find it empty. They find that Jesus' body isn't there where they had placed it on Friday. Jesus is gone. Matthew chapter 28, Matthew adds a detail that these guys, neither one of them added. He says something happened before the women got there. That there was an event. And so Matthew 28 verses 2 and 4, it says, Behold, there was a great earthquake. And an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven. He had come and he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. And for fear of them, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Right? So an angel came and opened the door and then he sits on it. I think it's a great picture of victory. Right? He sits on it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, it cracks me up. I don't know why. Just seeing him, he rolls it aside and then takes a seat on top of it. The guards are literally petrified with fear. I want you to understand, Jesus did not need the angel to open the door. He was not, the angel was not opening the door for Jesus. He was opening the door for the ladies. Right? He was, and that's, and well, and it really, he's opening for the door for the ladies, for the apostles. And in many ways, he was opening the door for us. We all needed to see inside and that it was empty. Jesus, we know from his resurrection appearances, didn't really have any trouble with walls and doors. 
They were not a problem for him. The Lord of life, this one who rose from the dead, he didn't need an angel to open the door for him. But the angels opened the door for us, for these ladies. It's a powerful picture. This yawning open grave, darkened inside with the door opened up. This picture of the grave having been opened, yawning in darkness. Let's step into that grave for just a minute. And I know it's Easter and we want to be on the other side, but if we move to the other side too quickly, we don't see the full light of it because light is never so bright as when you step into it out of darkness. Right? Then it is, it is almost blinding. And so we step into this grave for just a moment. This whole story is about the emptying of a grave. Not just an empty grave. The emptying of a grave. Right? A grave that was full, but is now empty. The grave that had a dead man in it, and that man is no longer dead. Right? It's the emptying of a grave. The story of the victory of life over death. That's what the story is about. And we need to understand this. This is so, this is not 2,000 years ago. This is every human being, every day of your life. The victory, this, this, this tension in us that we are mortal and that that grave will one day be yours. And we all, this is the way of all flesh. There is this grave. And one day it will literally have your name on it. And so, this story of life over death, it is critical. It's critical for our culture. It's critical for you in your everyday life. And in particular, your future and your destiny and your eternity. The question is, does death win? Or does life win? In other words, is there something more? Or is the grave it? That is all we look forward to. That is all that we are headed towards. And then the implication of that is, does life matter? Does your life matter? What are, you, what are you living for? What is it all about? Is it, where does it end? Where is it going? And, and where it is going determines whether it has any meaning now. What is it all about? See, it casts its shadow back over everything. See, if, it, if the stone doesn't move, if the grave wins, if death has the last word, if the future is a dark hole, it casts its dark shadow back over life. Because that's where we're going. What does it mean? Who cares? What does it matter? I don't know if you've ever had that existential struggle about so what? What is it all about? Right? See, if we look to the future and we see a holy God who made us, one whom we will stand before, an arisen Christ who has conquered death, offering life and a future, offering hope then all of life in between now and then right, takes on a certain character. Right? The light of it is shed back. Right? There's a direction. There's a purpose. There's one before whom we have to do. There is a meaning that He has created into life. There is, there is something more beyond this life. And so how I live and who I am as I live before this one and in relationship with one, everything is different than if I look to the future and see only the extinction of my personality and, and a dark grave and nothing, annihilation, and that's it. Because the light, the, 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 that 
looks quite different. The life between now and then will look quite different than it would otherwise. That's why Hebrews 2.15 speaks of those who, through the fear of death, were subject to a slavery all their lives. What kind of slavery? If death is all there is, we are enslaved to a, a hopelessness, to a despair, to a purposeless, purposelessness, to a meaninglessness, to, to what? If all I believe in is death, the shadow of it falls backward across my life and it robs me of hope and it robs me of purpose. We underestimate the power of meaning in a person's life. I think it's one of the number one things as you see your teenagers and your 20 and somethings and all these young people who are wrestling whether they grew up in church or outside of the church what most of them are wrestling with whether they know it or not can name it or not that existential angst that sense of meaningfulness. Does life have meaning? Is there a goal? Is there a purpose? Is there direction? There's a subtle message that is out there going all the way back into existentialism and some of the philosophies that our culture has just drank in wholeheartedly now. They don't know, call it by a name. It's just just something that we live in and swim in these days and this whole perspective that it is brave to face the reality that life ends in personal extinction. It's brave. Right? And that religion, religion is a crutch. It's just a fairy tale for to make people feel better. And, it, and real courage that it takes to believe in nothing. To believe in death. But my friends, that is a religion too. It requires a set of doctrines that you must believe and adhere to strongly. The doctrine that there is no God. That death is the ultimate reality. That life has no meaning. That there are no moral absolutes. And so we are adrift in a sea of meaninglessness. Culture doesn't outright say this in many ways. In some places it does. I've had that conversation more than once. But it does it also subtly simply by removing all reference to God. By by making God irrelevant. By by making all of our our culture and our education and our, our public life free of religion. Not the freedom of religion, but freedom from religion. And this suppressing of the truth of God and pushing it pushing it down so we have this morally, religiously neutral sort of government and education and everything else. We wonder why our children have no moral boundaries. We wonder why they're so morally confused. We watch these news reports of things that have happened recently and we wonder how could, how could children do such a thing? Why don't they value human life? Why, do, why are so many young people adrift and sexually confused and abusive? And why are so many of them just going nowhere fast and floundering? I would simply say it's the logical result of a religion where the grave wins. It is the logical result of suppressing the truth of God and taking out all meaning and direction in life. That we strip away the future, we strip away hope, and and then we act surprised. That That our children are morally and existentially confused. When the grave door stands closed, when we only believe in death, what is left of life? 
All right, we've been in the darkness too long. Let us step out again then into the light. Right Out of the darkened tomb, back into the light of Easter day, back into the light of life, to back into reality, I would suggest. Back into what is true and right. Back into the way things are supposed to be. Let's return to the question that the women asked that morning as they went to the tomb, which is the same question I believe that lies in each of our hearts. Who will move the stone from away from the mouth of the tomb? Who will open the grave? Who will give life a future, purpose, meaning? Who will roll away the stone? Who will set us free from the power of death? Who will show us the way to life and light? Who will remove the shadow of death and of despair and of senselessness? Who will set us free to live without fear, without shadow? Who can give my life purpose and direction? My friends, what does the angel say? Right? The angels, they look in the door and, the, and Jesus isn't there. They're confused about it. And it says, but two men stood there in dazzling white apparel. We were meant to take those. Those are angels. Perhaps one of them that opened the door. Two men stand there. They fall to the ground frightened on their faces. They recognize something greater than themselves. And they ask, why do you seek the living? among the dead. Why did you expect death here? He is not here, but He has risen. You will not find Him in the grave. Christ has risen. He's risen from the dead. He has conquered death. You may be here this morning and you're skeptical. We reach that point and we proclaim what is for us the center of the Gospel, the center of Christianity, the center of, of all hope that Christ is risen, that His tomb was empty, that He defeated death and rose again to an unending, everlasting life. And you may be here this morning and you're skeptical. As soon as we start talking about these things, because they don't normally happen. And I would say that's okay. It simply means you understand the issues. We're talking about something unusual. We're talking about something miraculous. We're talking about something that flies in the face of much of our experience, which is death. You're in good company. These women, they were more skeptical than you are. They flat out didn't believe it. Same as the, the apostles, right? In verse 1 it says on the third day, uh, the third day, they go to the mouth of the tomb taking spices with them that they had been preparing. You know, this is for a, a process that's, you know, it's kind of a primitive embalming that they were going on, a, a different kind, and they were going to prepare a body. They, they, were, they expected Jesus to be in the grave and to stay there because they were going to prepare His body for a long-term stay. They did not expect resurrection. They didn't believe in it either when they showed up at the tomb. And it wasn't just them. But it's all in spite of the fact that Jesus predicted it. He predicted His death and His resurrection. And that's part of all the Gospels include Jesus' prediction of it. And Luke does it. Even here where He talks about all of their skepticism. In Luke 9, He said the Son of Man must suffer these things. He's going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Like they saw all that happen. He's going to be killed. They saw that happen. And then on the third day, He would rise. He would be raised. But that they didn't, somehow, didn't click. It doesn't capture 
their hearts. The predictions are so well known that Jesus said this kind of thing in His ministry on multiple occasions. It's so well known that the Jewish leadership that got Him crucified went back to the Romans' authorities and said, can you post a door at the tomb because there are these rumors flying around. Jesus said some things about raising from the dead. And we don't want any funny business going on. We don't want any hoaxes going on. And so would you, for at least a few days, post a guard at the tomb? Right? It's so well known The Jews are taking steps against it. But they didn't believe it. They didn't come to see if Jesus was risen. If the tomb was empty, they came expecting a dead body. In verses 10 and 11, it says when they found it empty and they realized He was risen or was told that He was risen, that they go running back. And in verse 11, it says, but these words seemed to the apostles as an idle tale. And they did not believe them. Your skepticism is in good company. If you struggle to believe in a resurrection from the dead, the reversal of the laws of nature as we experience them, you are not alone. That all, all of His disciples who walked with Him His whole life in, well, in those years of ministry, listening to His teaching, listening to His predictions, experiencing His miracles in other ways, even when it came to the resurrection, they came on that day as skeptics. The apostles, Peter, James, John. These are guys who ended up giving their lives preaching the resurrection. Men who were willing to lay down what was left of this life to say without balking at the powers that threatened to destroy them if they kept saying it, Jesus Christ is risen. These men who thought it was an idle tale on the morning that it was told to them became bold preachers of a resurrected Jesus to the point that every single one of them lost their lives in the course as martyrs in the course of their ministry preaching the resurrected Christ. And we ask, what happened? What changed? These guys who didn't believe became ready to die, to give up what little of life they had left, to say, to affirm, to preach, to declare that Jesus Christ is risen. And we have hope. And the grave does not win. The only answer is that these guys encountered a risen Jesus. They encountered a risen Christ. They encountered the reality that something supernatural against the laws of nature, what normally doesn't happen, what is, which is causing your skepticism and doubt right now if you have it. You know, something like that happened because they encountered a living Christ. And it changed them to such a degree that there are hundreds of people in this room 2,000 years later standing on their feet and singing and proclaiming and worshiping a risen Christ. And there are people like you all over this city and like you all over this world in the tens of of millions to the billions that Jesus Christ is risen. Something happened and they encountered Him. Romans 1.4, it says, He was declared to be the Son of God in power. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. And what that says was He was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection. In other words, it proved that He was who He said He was. It demonstrated 
the power of His life. The unending, eternal power of His life. Acts 2.24, it says, God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. By the grave. By death. Why? Because of who He is. The Son of the living God. And that's the real issue this morning. It's the real issue every day. As we come and look at the resurrection, and there are some who struggle whether they to believe in the resurrection. But the issue is not to believe in the resurrection. The issue is to believe in Jesus. The issue is to believe that Jesus is who He said He is. Because if He is who He said He is, the resurrection is a no-brainer. right? If He is the Son of the living God, if He is God incarnate come to die on a cross to bear our own sins in His body, to remove our guilt and to bring us forgiveness, if He is the Lord of life, the fact that He rose from the dead is a no-brainer. That's an easy one. The issue is, what do you think of Jesus? If you put your faith and your trust in Him, do you know Him as the Lord of life? John 20, 31, John, as he gets to the end of his Gospel, says, I've written these things. And he just finished the Passion Week and his death and his resurrection. And John says, I've written these things that you may believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ. That He is the Son of God. And in believing in the Lord of life, you may have life in His name. To believe that He is who He said He is. Jesus Christ, Lord, and Son of the living God. My friends, the most fundamental thing about you is what you think about Jesus. The most fundamental thing about you is whether you believe in death or whether you believe in life. Because every day that you live between now and that day is going to be shadowed or enlightened by your faith. Your faith in a in a closed tomb, or your faith in an empty one. And it changes everything. It changes everything. How we live and how we work and how we treat people because He is who He said He is. And His words are true. And so we live our lives according to His words. We live by Him and for Him and to Him. And to that day when we will stand before Him, we, we live as those whose lives and our work is infused with purpose because we no longer live and work for man, but we live and work for the One who has called us and given us life. And the way I love my wife or the way I love and treat my family, the way that I think about life, the way that I am infused with purpose and direction has to do with whether you believe in life or whether your life has become infected by death. And darkness shadows it. Jesus' victory over sin and death and the grave is the guarantee of our victory if by faith we will trust Him. He was crucified to pay our debt. He bore our sin in His body on the cross. And He was raised from the dead to destroy the power of death. That through faith in Christ, in His death, and in His resurrection, our guilt can be removed. That we can stand forgiven. We know on that day we will stand forgiven. And it is a day that then holds no fear. It holds only hope. holds only life. As we live toward that day, we live toward that One. Toward Jesus who is who He said He is.
the Son of the living God. As we stand forgiven before this One who said, John 14, 19, because I live, you also will live. And we not only will live, He said, I came that you might have life. That His life was the light of men. He came, He says, that we might have life and have it abundantly. A life that is not only that, it's, it's, not only, it's the promise of that abundant life in that day that sheds abundance into our life now. That sets us free from the chains that drag us down to the earth and make us less than we should be. Less than we could be. If we were lovers of life, lovers of light, followers of Christ, who will roll away the stone for us? Who will set us free from the grave? Let me tell you, there's no one else. There is no one else. The disciples, after Jesus had said some hard things, and the resurrection in some ways is a hard thing. It calls out faith to believe in Jesus as the Lord of life. And the disciples had heard Jesus say hard things, and a bunch of people were walking away. And Jesus asked His disciples, are you going to leave Me too? Some of you may have wandered off. Some of you may be out there. And Jesus is asking this question, are you going to leave Me too? Are you going to wander off? And the disciples answered him, the, the twelve that were close, and some of the others said to him in John 6.68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Oh my friends, we need the words of life for it to be abundant, for it to be full, for it to be meaningful. 1 John 5.11-13, John writes again and he says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God has forfeited life. He does not have it. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have life. That you might know that you have eternal life. And in knowing this, that your life would be flooded. Flooded with His presence. Flooded with His purpose. To know Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to walk with Him, and one day to stand with Him in the presence of God, unafraid, unashamed, forgiven, grace-filled. Do you know that you have, as John writes, do you know that you have eternal life? Are you tired yet of living in meaninglessness? Are you tired of living in confusion and without direction? Jesus said, John 11, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And if you would believe in Me, even though you die, you will live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. And then that question, my friends, it abides with us this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe in His life? Give your life to Christ. And Christ will give life to you. I was reading, one author said, try as they may, people can't keep Jesus down. They can't keep Him buried. They, they may use physical force, or academic scorn, or a media blackout, or political harassment, or religious caricature. They may make fun of us for a season. They will think the tomb is finally sealed. But it never works. 
He always breaks out. Because Christ is risen. And all God's people said, Christ is risen. And if you believe that, then we stand this morning in the light of life and we stand in the abundant life that He has promised us. We stand with hope and meaning and purpose. We stand to worship a risen Christ, a living Christ who gives us life. Pray with me. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank You that You have come. That You lived that life that we failed to live. That You died the death that we deserve to die. That You have paid the penalty for our sins. And that You have risen again the victor over life. Oh, deliver us from the fear of death. Deliver us from believing in that there is nothing more. Deliver us into faith in Jesus Christ that You are who You said You are. And let us stand this morning with hearts full of Your presence and Your power and Your life. And let us not only sing in this moment, but day by day between this one and that one, singing Your praise and pouring our lives out in sacrifice and service for the One who loved us so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.